Good morning. Woo! Little ring. Well, there's a group here that I asked to be here, and they showed up in droves. So thank you very much for being here. Mr. Anonymous, thanks a lot. And they look good, too. Man, you guys dress up well. All right. Um, what? <laughs> you guys showed up, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> so if you got your Bibles, go ahead. We're going to start in Nehemiah. That's way back in the Old Testament, all right? Just keep your fingers there. Keep your, lay it down on the chair next to you. We're going to stay in Nehemiah. Anything else we travel away from Nehemiah will be up on the screen, all right? But Nehemiah is the book we're going to be in this morning. Um, man, so... Before I even get into that, how many have ever seen the show Alone? Alone. Okay. Me and my wife like this show a lot. Um, They send a whole bunch of people, like 10 people, out into the wilderness to to fend for themselves. I would never go for one. I wouldn't make it physically. But there's bears, secondly. And there's no way me and bears are going to be in the same place. So I bring this, this story up because... They do some really, my kid's not in here, stupid things, okay? And, and they get themselves in all kinds of trouble. But what takes, and so if you last, outlast everybody else, right? You get 500,000 bucks, okay? So if you outlast everybody else, you get a reward, okay? Now, what usually takes these people out of the game is them selves. Some do get hurt, some do get injured, some go, bears, I'm out of here. Most of the time, them being alone with themselves takes them out of the game. There are some people that are very strong mentally and they've gone a long time. I don't know how long the longest episodes were, over 100 days. Pardon me. So... So with that thought, with us starting there, this show, alone, right? You're, you're all alone, all by yourself for however long, trying to outlast somebody else. And you are usually the one that takes yourself out of the game, all right? We're going to look at something different than that this morning. We're going to look at something, um, hopefully, that brings us together, all right, that doesn't Because being alone, taking, taking all that time and, and, and getting away every now and then is good. But being alone and staying alone and staying away from everybody else is not good. So we're going we're gonna to get into this after we pray. Because God is the most important thing. So let's pray. God, you are amazing. <laughs> you are wonderful. You are worthy to be praised. And we just start there. God, we just start there. You are worthy to be praised. And you are honored. And we got to do that this morning very well. Lord God, we got to just sing praises to you. We got to sit in a room full of other people that want to sing praises to you. We got to to come before your throne, Father God, and just tell you how good and how great and how awesome and how mighty and how wonderful you are. Now, God, I just ask that you help me. Give me clarity of thought and ease of expression as I go about sharing your word with your people. God, there's things that we need to catch. There's things that we need to grow in. There's things that we need to walk towards. And I just pray, Father God, that you would help me do that. God, I'm speaking to me this morning as much as I'm speaking to everybody else in this room. God, motivate me. God, help me. Help us be the church that you're asking us to be. Help us deliver those people that are walking by our doors, Father God, that, that are calling out for a Savior. Help us, Lord God, be there for each other, Lord God, in times of need, when people are having surgeries or people are sick, whatever it is, Lord God, help us be those people to one another. And just help us, Dad. <laughs> if you don't show up, this is just somebody talking. But if you show up, Father God, this, this is amazing. 
If you show up and start working in hearts, Lord God, that's what I've been praying for all week, that you would do that. I love you, Dad. We just ask you to be here in a special way, because we know you're here because we're all gathered here, but in a special way. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, title next to, what are we building? Do you know who is beside you? Did I not turn it on? Hey, there's an on button. Maybe. Hey. Oh, you did it for me? Okay. We might just have to go that way. You're next to me. Thank you. All right. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 6. Let's read that. I'm in the New King James, so if that messes you up, I'm sorry. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel. That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess their sins of the children of Israel, which, you, which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. 140 years before this man prays this prayer about um, Nebuchadnezzar marches into Jerusalem, destroys everything, destroys the temple, knocks down the walls, takes people from there, takes them back to Babylon. Okay? 140 years. Jeremiah prophesied that they were only supposed to be in exile for how many years? Does anybody know that? 70 years. Why? Why is Nehemiah still in that land of captivity 140 years later? He should have been back 70 years, right? God told, God told Daniel, you're not ready yet. You served your time, and you can go back to the promised land, but you're not ready yet. You're not ready. And so, 70 more years goes on, and Nehemiah now um, is sitting there going, God, God, what's next? God, help, Right? So when, when Nebuchadnezzar de- destroyed the, the town, the city, the temple, what kind of people did he leave in Jerusalem? Well, if you were smart, you got taken, right? If you were young, there's lots of work that we can get out of you. You got taken, right? Um, if you're a good childbearing age and you're a female, you got taken, Right? So who's left in Jerusalem? The old, the weak, those people that uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes, "Hmm, you got maybe two weeks left. We're not taking you with us, right? So he takes all that's good in Jerusalem and takes it to another country, takes it to another place. And for 140 years, they sit there and go, God, where are you? God, take us back. God, bring us back home. Verse 1, or chapter 1, 2 and 3, Nehemiah wants a report from a group that has just returned from Judah, okay? So this guy comes in, Hanani, right? He comes in, he goes, oh, oh, hey, hey, you just got back from Judah, what's the report, what's going on, right? And Nehemiah, I believe, it doesn't say, but I believe he's going, please be good, please be good. And what is Nehemiah here? Oh, my goodness, the people. 
The people are, are hopeless. The people are sick. The people are disgraced. Man, even the walls, the walls are still torn down. The, the gates are burned. Not a good report, Nehemiah. And then Hananiah walks off, right? Do we know if Nehemiah ever heard how the province of Judah was doing before this? Does it tell us? It doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that Nehemiah was in the temple, was in the king's court, serving him food and drinks and making sure this guy was protected. Right? So any report that came from Judah, this guy was hearing. And I think this time, God did something in his heart. This time it wasn't just, oh, okay, that's the report. All right. This time, he goes, God, God, why? God, why? Why are my people so kicked around? Why are my people so hurt? Why are my people so hopeless? And it drives him to go weep and mourn and fast and pray. He said, God, what's the answer? God, what's the answer? No. Next one, please. Maybe. <laughs> hey, there we go. All right, verse 4. How does Nehemiah respond to this news in verse 4? We just said it, right? He cries, he weeps, he prays, he fasts. God places Jerusalem on Nehemiah's heart, and Nehemiah just can't shake it, right? He's heard this report before. He's heard how things are going in Jerusalem. He's heard how things are going for the people of Israel. And he just can't shake it this time. God does something in his heart. God puts a brokenness in Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem. Verse 5 and 6, does Nehemiah point his finger at Israel and say, these people are horrible, God? Kind of. But then what does he do? I am just as horrible. Uh, Josh White gave us a sermon, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago. And he said humility was the start of all this stuff, right? Humility was the start of, of loving each other. Humility was the start of getting right with each other. Humility was the start of getting right with God. Humility. And what does Nehemiah do? He goes, God, Israel is horrible, and they've been horrible in my father's house, and even I have been horrible to you. Please forgive us. So the rest of the chapter goes on from there, just reminding God of what he said. God, you said you were going to take us back to the promised land. God, you said you were going to take us back to Jerusalem. God, you said we were going to live back there again. Next one. <clears throat> Nehemiah 1, verse 11 through 2, 8. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to, my, to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant, servants who desire to feel your name, and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, where wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. 
Why should my face not be sad when the city and the place of my father's tombs lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And the letters to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, then he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So he was a cupbearer. That's Nehemiah's job, right? What does that mean? I've been educated. <laughs> um, I used to think cupbearer was drink this in front of me. If it has poison, you die. I'm not drinking it. Okay? A little bit of that connotation is there. But more, this man was a trusted member of the court of Artaxerxes. He had control of over what the king ate. He had control over what the king drank. And he was beside the king in all of this stuff. Okay? So, so what was Nehemiah's mistake? Got quiet. Even Chris got quiet on me over there. <laughs> what was Nehemiah's mistake? In this part of in this in these verses that we just read, what's Nehemiah's mistake? Showed sadness. Illegal to be sad in front of the king. Right? You go in front of the king, and if you're not wearing a smile, or if you're not in proper decorum, if you're not, you know, head held high, chest back, if this is not the way you present yourself to the king when you're handing something to him or, or in his presence, what does he have the right to do? You're done. Give me another... Head of security, give me another cupbearer, give me another person, right? Why was Nehemiah afraid? Because it says right there, oh my goodness, he just noticed. Um, Because he could be killed. And God uses it all. God uses Nehemiah's fear. God uses Nehemiah's mistake. To bring attention to something that God wants to do. Okay? Verse 4 through 6. What did Nehemiah do when King Artaxerxes asked him what he wants? What do you want, Nehemiah? What what does Nehemiah do? He prayed. Did he go to Artaxerxes and say, okay, give me three days. I've got to go pray. And and make... No. It was one of those, oh God, please help. Okay, king. This is what is going on. The man had prayed, the man had weeped, the man had fasted before this, right? He was ready. He was prepared to be before the king. He was prepared to do this. He wasn't prepared for his face to look sad. The king noticed. He wasn't prepared to be afraid in front of the king. But the king asked. And then Nehemiah goes, God help. Uh, This is what I want, king. Or, or this is what's going on. My, my town, my hometown, I've never seen it. I was born here. I've never seen it. All I've done is heard words about Jerusalem. I've heard words about this great temple that Ezra got to go back and start building. I've heard words, and I've never seen it. By the end of verse 8 in chapter 2, Nehemiah has a plan, letters, bodyguards, and headed to Jerusalem. Right? You can go to the next one. So, God used everything. God used his fear. God used his mistake. God used everything that Nehemiah wasn't for God. Right? 
it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens because we believe Nehemiah is going back to build walls, right? Ooh, exciting. <laughs> we believe, we believe, right here, sitting in this room, maybe not my youth group because they've already gotten in on the story a little bit, but, but we believe here, he's going back to build walls. He's going back to make sure this city gets defended, right? We're going to see that that's not necessarily the case. So here's my first point. When God restores a person, he often connects them to their purpose. God saves you from something for something. And get this, church. Get this. If you have a testimony that Jesus Christ has come into your life and saved you, that is amazing and wonderful and worthy to be celebrated. That's half your story. Maybe I shouldn't walk that far back. That is half your story. God didn't save you to sit you on the bench. God didn't take you from addiction to pornography, from addiction to alcohol, from, from, from being all self-centered. God didn't take you from that to sit you on the bench. God took you from that for something. And we in the church of Jesus Christ have got a disconnect, right? From being saved and being celebrating it to finding out what our purpose is and who we are. Because, man, if you're living your purpose, you are so much different than somebody that's saved and just going, I'm waiting for God to come back. I'm just waiting. Why don't you do something? Right? So, God saves you from something for something. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know. <clears throat> you don't dance around up here much, but, I, but I'm getting there. Get this, church. Get this. God didn't save you to wait. God didn't save you for the rapture. God didn't save you to sit there. God saved you to do something. God saved me to stand up here this Sunday morning to preach these words. God saved me to sit Sunday evening and tell these kids, students, I always do that, I'm sorry, these students about God, right? And hang out with them, right? That's what God saved me for, at least for right now. Who knows what it's going to turn into? But it's exciting. When you get into a church and all you hear is morality message after morality message, what does it do? It's boring after a while. I know. I'm not supposed to drink. I'm not supposed to chew. I'm not supposed to run with women that do. And, and, and got it. Got it. Oh, that's another one of those messages this morning. Sorry. If we don't find out what we are, who we are, who God has made us to be, the works that he prepared beforehand for us to step into... You're just waiting. And I don't want you to wait, church. I don't want you to wait, students. I don't want you to wait. I want you to get involved with what God wants for you. A Christian that tells us what to do and what not to do, but never tells us who we are, what we're made for, it's never going to satisfy us. It's never going to satisfy who we are. You can go to the next one. It's never going to satisfy us. We will sit there and wonder why I keep sinning. We will sit there and wonder why things don't change. We will sit there and continue to be defeated by the enemy because we don't know what we're created for. And, 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 and the, what you're created for is different from everybody that's sitting next to you. This is what I was created for. I am created to tell the works of God to people. So get into people's lives and get in the mess with them. And believe me, it's messy. That's what I'm created to do. Some of you are created to make businesses that are so ethical and above board that it makes every other business seem horrible and, and wasteful because you're a child of God and you do things different by his standard. 
There are people in here that are supposed to play an instrument for God like you've never played an instrument for God and do it for him. I mean, there's so many different things, so many different people, so many different purposes. Yes, the way to God, the way to heaven is narrow, and it's only one door, right? Jesus Christ. Well, I've got to get back to my notes. We're going to be here forever. The way, to Jesus, the, the way to the kingdom is through one door, Jesus Christ, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to God, right? The way into the kingdom is narrow. Once you get into the kingdom, it is humongous. It is so big. What you do for God, there's so much that you, can, you have liberty to do in God's name. Mm. All right. Nehemiah risked his life before the king. If you have a pain worth living for, it's a pain worth dying for. Right? He was sad, and he couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't hide it. He was sad, and he couldn't hide it. It was on his face. Something ever bother you so much you had to do something about it? Something ever bother you so much you had to do something about it? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question right now. And what was it? What was it you had to do that bothered you so much? For Nehemiah, it was going back to the city of Jerusalem that he'd never seen with his eyes and rebuild a wall for God, for his people. For Nehemiah, it was the city of Jerusalem. For you and me, is whatever God has placed in our hearts. Hold on to what he's put in there, whether it's pain or passion. If there's something that's bothering you and it's in there and you keep thinking about it, it's probably God. If there's a passion in your heart that you keep thinking about, and this isn't like temptation, passion. This is a passion to do something, do something worthy with your life. If there's a pain or passion in your heart, talk to God about it. Get before him with it and see where it takes you. Second point this morning. When God restores a person, he connects them with others who share a common purpose. What does that sound like to you? This, the ecclesia, the church, the gathering of the people on Sunday. When God restores a person, he connects them with others who share a common purpose, okay? We are all here together to do this thing together, to live together, to be together, to to move through this life together, right? Encourage each other, pray for each other, correct each other. We're supposed to do this together. And how does your purpose intersect with what the purpose of us is? What is your purpose? Right? And this isn't, this isn't a call to get you to do something in the church. Yes, we need help with different ministries. Yes, the youth group needs help. Yes, young adults ministry needs help. Yes, the kids need help. Yes, we need help. This isn't a motivational thing to get you to go, oh, I'll volunteer, Corey. Thank you for giving me the motivation. This is to find out who you are. This is to find out what God has placed in your heart and who you are. And if you haven't taken the time to find out, if you haven't taken the time to ask those questions, you need to ask yourself those questions. I don't care if you're 97 or 7. You need to ask yourself these questions. So Nehemiah goes back to this broken down wasteland and he sees that the temple is being built. It's looking okay. And he's like, we need a wall. So he goes around this place at night trying to keep everything secret and quiet. And then he gets back in the morning and he tells everybody, he drops the bomb. Boom, we're going to build the wall. 
And everybody's like, oh, cool, yay, you're going to build the wall, except the other group of people. We're not going to really talk about them. But they, they don't like it. Um, so they start building this wall. They start putting stones on other stones. Do you know what this group of wall builders was made of? Was it made of masons? That'd be, that'd be, that'd be the right thing, right? You need masons to, to build a wall, right? Are, are there any concrete workers or mortar workers? We, we don't know, but it never says that this group of people, there's no construction workers on this project. The book of Nehemiah never says once that there is a person that knows what they're doing and how to build a wall. They've got goldsmiths who make rings, right? They've got perfumers that make people smell better, right? Uh, they got one guy who has a bunch of daughters and no sons, and they're building the wall. Right? We'll get to that. But God's not using Nehemiah and his people to build a city. God is using a city to build Nehemiah and his people. We're going to come back to that. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that. Nehemiah verse, or chapter 3, verse 23. After him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah. Ooh, I need glasses. Messiah, the son of uh, just really hard names, okay? Made repairs by his house. So after reading this verse, do you see why they needed to build this wall the best they could? What's at stake if they don't make their wall the best and strongest part of the wall? What was that? Their family, their house is behind that wall. Right? If my part of the wall is not as strong as it should be, if those seams are way too wide and the enemy gets through there, they're coming through my daughter's, my daughter's bedroom. They're coming through our family's living room. The enemy is coming through that weak part of the wall. Right? So why were they so... Why were they so... They needed this part of the wall to be the strongest part of the wall because their families were at stake. Because the people they loved and cared about and cherished the most was at stake. Okay? Third point. It is clearly understood that their families are at stake. The only thing that stood between their enemies and their sleeping children was what they were building. The only thing stopping people from coming in and destroying their family was that wall. The only thing stopping anything from overcoming this city was how they built their part of the wall. If I was there, my goodness, that would be these, the closest seams, the biggest stones I could find. It would be that kind of wall. I don't want anything messing with my family. So that's, that's the point. Our generation of builders, us here, church, is responsible to build something that protects the next generation behind us. You all, and soon my students, need to be concerned about what we're building. We need to be concerned about what we're laying on, on the foundation. Who's the foundation? We know the, who the who's the foundation. Church answer, Jesus, his words. In the Old Testament, right? That's our foundation. And we need to be building on that foundation. We need to be building something for the people that are coming behind us. Church, it's our responsibility. It was Nehemiah's responsibility that these people built a wall so that their families could be defended. It is our responsibility for us to build something for our kids, our next generation, that they can be proud of. Right? 
How many of you have seen those Google, I don't know how you say it, like reviews and how many stars you can give something? You know you can rate churches that way now? Oh, I give them three stars. The music was good, but that preacher, oh my goodness. It, it irritates me. Because we're not running a restaurant. We're not running a country club. We're trying to build squarely on the foundation of what Jesus Christ wants. We're trying to build squarely on the foundation of what was written down in, in the Word of God. And somebody gets to write a review on it, like, like we're coming in here to cater to you. Like we're coming in here to, oh, I like the worship and I like this, but I'm going to leave that message and I'm going to leave the way the temperature is. But these things I'm going to put on my plate and it's like people are treating the, the, the church of God like a buffet and it hurts. It hurts, church. I'm not saying anybody in here is doing that. Hopefully everybody in here is coming because they want to hear the truth of God spoken from somebody that has, has poured over the scripture for the whole week, two weeks that they got to prepare a message. So what I'm trying to say, we're not trying to cater to people, but we're trying to build a church squarely found on the words of Jesus Christ. We need people in young adult ministry that love Jesus and young adults. If you have a desire to be with young adults, we need your help, right? We need people in kids' ministry that love kids and love Jesus. We need people in youth ministry that love youth and love Jesus. We need kids at the board game night that love people and love Jesus. If God is putting anything in your heart this morning, if God is tugging anywhere, listen. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's trying to tell you. I don't want you in a ministry that you don't, if you can't stand kids, kids ministry is not for you. My my wife says amen. (laughs) We got two. Anyway. If youth ministry, if you can't stand youth, I'll tell you, I don't want you. If you can't love them and love Jesus at the same time, find your spot. Find your spot. If you love board games and you like people, talk to Randy. Pastor Randy would love to have you and love to have the help. The generations behind us are going to say one of two things about this church. That's the church I grew up in, and it was full of hypocrites and not genuine, and nobody cared about me, and that's why I don't believe today. Or, man, as soon as I walked through those doors, there were seven people that genuinely loved and cared about me and were there for me. That's why I believe today. I want, to buy, I want to go buy this place or have one of them call me in 10 years and go, Pastor Corey, this is my life. No, it hasn't turned out the way I wanted it to, but man, I love God with all my heart. It's been hard. It's been difficult, but Jesus means everything to me. And that youth group we were in is why. That church we went to is why. Because they were genuine enough to care about me. Because they laid down their life enough to care about me. Because they wanted more out of life than just what they could get. They wanted to pour into somebody else. That's why I believe today. Let's see if I can read what I'm crying. Nehemiah chapter 3, 
verse 5 and verse 27. So verse 5. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Then verse 27. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section next to the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Those guys were beasts. That team of workers was amazing. Their nobles, eh, we'll get to them right at the end. But them, Nehemiah said, hey, I need you guys to prepare to, to repair this section to this section. They said, right on, Nehemiah, let's go out, let's do this. And they're out there repairing their section, right? They get it done, they look around, and they're noticing, oh my goodness, there's still people working on this. Nehemiah, hey, is there another section we can get? Oh yeah, we need this section to, I mean, that, that thing's, just start here and work that way. Okay. Their example should be our example. We should do what the Tekoites did. That means some of us are going to work, have to work harder than others. Some of us are going to have to pray harder than others. Some of us are going to have to bake stuff for people so they can go to Mexico all week long so that others can go and minister to live their life's dream. Some of us are going to have to work harder just like the Tekoites. And I don't think there was a complaining one in the bunch besides, of course, their rulers. They're just like, let's, I'm good at stacking stones. Let's stack some stones. Let's do this. Ooh, this is good. What was Jesus' final prayer that he prayed in peace? Not a prayer that he prayed on the cross. Not a prayer that he prayed while he was under you know, being questioned. What was Jesus' final prayer that he prayed in peace? Father God, help them be one as we are. Help them be one in me and me in you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, one of the greatest testimonies we have as a body of believers is everything that could divide us doesn't. Some of us like guns. Some of us can't stand guns. Some of us like this political person. Some of us like that political person. Some of us think America's it, and some of us don't think America's it. Everything that can divide us should. Everything that could get in the way should get in the way. We're humans, right? That wall that Nehemiah was building should never have gotten to where it was. Why did it? Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that they had any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. Is that a lie? That's the word of God. Me and you do not have everything in common. Ooh, we're, getting, we're getting scary. Either that's a lie and the Bible's not true, or that's correct, and we have to understand how it's correct. How can that group of people have everything in common? One person was their everything. Jesus Christ was their everything. Jesus Christ 
brought them all together. This is where it starts getting new for you because you guys haven't heard this yet. Jesus Christ was their everything. They had everything in common because Jesus Christ was their everything. Church, if we can get there, if we can have everything in common, if Jesus becomes our everything, amazing things are going to happen. This church, no matter how big or how small it gets, will do damage to the kingdom of the enemy and will grow the kingdom of God like never before. With Nehemiah's wall, few claimed an exemption, even when they could have. So you hit these different verses, right? The high priest. The high priest is the first one that says, I will grab stones and put stones on other stones. And his whole family says, we'll help you, right? The priest later on down the, 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 the way go, oh, the high priest is working with his hands. Uh, we will work too. We will put stones on other stones. Verse 8, goldsmiths and perfumers, like I said, these people weren't masons. These people weren't construction workers. Well, if the high priest and the priests are doing it, we're going to do it too. And a dad and his daughters, verse 12. Ladies, you are in the Bible, and you did amazing things. Don't ever let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone ever say that you can't do stuff. These daughters helped their daddy build their wall. These daughters came to the call of their dad and helped them build a wall, a strong wall, a great wall. This group of people built a wall. You can go to the next slide. I don't know if you can see it very well. I can't very well. This wall that they built was two and a half miles long, an average of 80 feet high, higher or lower some spots, and eight feet thick. That is an impressive wall. Parts of it can still be seen. Nehemiah, part of Nehemiah, parts of Nehemiah's wall can still be seen today. Those stones are still there 2,400 some years later. They did an impressive job for being perfumers and goldsmiths and high priests and people that didn't ever work very hard. Okay. We have to make room for the moments when God moves. We have to make room to share the gospel. We have to make room to serve locally. We have to make room in our budgets. We have to make room in our prayer times. We have to make room in our words. We have to make room in our whole lives for when God wants to do something. If we're not ready, we're going to pass those good things that God has prepared for us to step into. Somebody says, hey, I need 500 bucks to get from here to South Carolina so I can help bury my daddy, and you haven't got the money because you didn't budget for it, and God is asking you to do it. Whose fault is it? Yours. If you are tired and exhausted and can't stay up, and somebody calls you at 2 o'clock and says, man, I really need you to pray. My grandma is dying. She's got horrible problems. She's in the hospital. And you can't stay up and pray. Whose fault is that? Man, and then I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you. I, I really ain't. And that's not good English. But if you can hear my heart, church, we need to be there for each other. We need to make room in our lives so that we can help when God asks us to. We need to make room in our times so that when God asks us to go and do something, we can do it. 
I need to pray right now. I was just told before we started this that one of my buddies was in the hospital down in Phoenix. So we're going to pray for him. Pray for his wife. We're going to pray for his family. Because I believe that's what God is asking me to do right now. And you know him. He's an elder in the church. It's Josh. Josh McCauley. Something's wrong in his stomach. They don't know why. He's down in the hospital in Phoenix trying to figure it out. And we're going to pray right now for him. Dad, my buddy is in a hospital. He doesn't know why his stomach's hurting. He's got his wife there. Oh, yeah, she's a great comfort. I just pray that you comfort. Oh, yeah, that you move into that hospital room, that exam room, wherever it is, and you be a comfort. Be a comfort in that situation. We ask that what is wrong in Josh's stomach be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Heal it in Jesus' name. God, you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what's wrong. And we stand with our brother. All the way up in Prescott Valley, we stand with our brother. God, that that would be healed, that would be taken care of in the name of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is against that disease in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Father God, just pour out your love. Let your spirit just fill the room where they're at. Just, just be with them, Dad. Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's building something with us or without us, church. I want to be a part of it. God's building something with us or without us, and I want to be a part of it. I want to grab my stones and put it on this wall. I want to grab people around me and say, hey, this wall needs to be built. This is kind of my end thought. I don't know how many slides I have. But God's not using us to build this church. God's using this church to build us. Just like God wasn't using Nehemiah's wall to build Jerusalem, he was using the wall to build Nehemiah and that group of people that went. The Israelites, when they got released from Egypt, they had 40 years to figure out what God was trying to tell them. They had 40 years of training before they marched into the promised land and started kicking tail. These guys get released from captivity and they got to go build a wall. That's how God trained them. God's training us, put us together with each other, next to each other, so that we can start building something for God. And what we're building for God is each other. We're placing stuff in each other. Nehemiah 3, verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Church, let us not be like the Tekoites nobles. Let us not be like those that didn't stoop to serve their Lord. This is my prayer. I want you to find where you where you are and find the place where you can give who you are to somebody else and make a difference. That's my heart this morning. If you have felt condemnation or shame, I apologize. That is not my intent. My intent is to spur you on to good works. My intent is to encourage you to get up and start picking up stones and putting it on the wall. That's my email. I know, original. Uh, Corey G, 1978 at YML. If you want to continue talking about this stuff, send me an email. We'll talk about it. If we need to go have a coffee, let's talk about it. We need to find who we are. And if I can help you find who you are to get you on that second part of life, the life that God has for you, then, then I want to be a part of that, Right? God's building something. I want to be a part of it. And I want you to be a part of it too and get involved. So now, I need every person that is a leader in this church to come up here. Pastor, the elders, Chris, your group, I need you up here.
I need everybody that serves in this church, Randy and your wives, bring your spouses. Um, uh, Tim, I don't know if you could hear me out there, but we need you too. Um, if it's not going to put us in, 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 a, in dire straits. My youth leaders, uh, Ben, where's your mama? There's your mama. Yes, thank you. Women's ministry, Bible studies, if you are a leader in something, you need to be up here. Thank you, Natalia. I'm looking. I'm looking for you. If you're sitting down, I'm going to get you. Okay. Church, these are your leaders. These are the people that pray for you. These are the people that storm the gates of hell for you. These are the people that come and visit you in the hospital. These are the people that lay their lives on the line for you day in and day out. Whether it's here protecting us by the security team while we're having church, whether it's making sermons and making people are, making sure people are fed every Sunday, whether it's being leadership and helping this church run right and correct, because, man, we know us humans can get off track really quick, or helping in the youth group, my heart. These are the people that love you. These are the people that are praying for you. And you need to be next to them. So I'm going to ask us to do something very crazy that I haven't seen happen in our church in a long time or, or ever. But I need you, church, to get up out of your seats and we're going to start praying for them. That's right. You can stand up right now and start go praying for the people that love you and are caring for you. you. You can put your hands on them. If you don't feel Pentecostal this morning, that's fine. You don't, you don't have to put your hands on them, but come forward. Move out from your spot. Come forward and start praying for you people. These people love you. These people care for you. And we need to be next to each other to help each other all the time. All right? If you don't know anybody up here, that's fine. If you don't know anyone, I'm sure they will love to be prayed for. It doesn't matter. Just start praying. Um, my, my gentlemen are going to start playing some music in the background, okay? And I'm going to start praying here in a, little, in a little bit. But this is your chance, church, to pour out on these people what they pour out on you daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. This is your chance to give back to them. This is your chance to stand in the gap with them. This is your chance to do what, what God is asking and calling you to do. Making a little time in your prayer life to, to be with these people, to minister to these people. Lord God, we love you and exalt you. We need you in this place. Oh, Lord God, there is no one like you. I just pray for encouragement, Lord God, that you would build up the leaders in our church, that you would give them power, that you would give them vision, that you would give them understanding to lead us in the way we need to go to take us to the places that we need to go. Lord God, sometimes they need to put a, put a lead around our neck and lead us. Lord God, sometimes they just need to push us gently. Lord God, I pray that you give them wisdom in how to do that. Lord God, I pray that you would help us understand that we are a church, that we are next to each other, Lord God. We, we help build in each other things that are that never go away, that never rust, that never deteriorate, that never break down. Lord God, if we build in each other what you have given us, if we build in each other what you are doing, Lord God, it is amazing and it is wonderful and it never rusts, it never decays, and it's there for eternity. Oh, Lord God, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. All right, church, if there's someone around you that's not praying with somebody, go ahead and pray for them. We're next to each other as well. We, we, if you're in your chairs, that's fine. 
If you can't stand, don't stand. Don't, don't be pressured into doing something that's going to hurt you, okay? If there's somebody around you that's not praying with somebody, reach out and start praying with them. If they want to tell you something that's going on in their life, that's fine. Listen and pray. Listen and reach out. If there's things that, that are happening outside of this church that, that you know about, like, like Josh in Phoenix, that need prayer, pray for them. You can be next to them even though you're here in this building this morning. We love you, Father God. Oh, we love you, Father God. If you want to talk this morning, if you want to fellowship, I ask that you go out and do it in the lobby. Okay? Let's leave this space for ministry. Let's leave this space for what God is doing among, the, among his people. If you want to fellowship, that's amazing. And that is definitely what we need to do here on Sunday mornings. But I ask you not to interrupt what God's doing in the in this room, but you guys go out into the lobby and have your fellowship.